Welcome to a special edition of Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. Thanks so much for joining us on this special program. I say special program not just because it might be on uh, Wednesday at 9 a.m. or Sunday at 7 a.m. or 7 p.m., Monday morning at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times, but because today is another one of those great interviews that we're going to have with a special guest who has contributed to the Sacred Stories Publishing release of Mayhem to Miracles. Jill Vanderwood is my guest here on the program, and we're going to talk about her contribution both to this book, but also uh, the other works that she has. And we're going to be talking uh, about uh, all of this with her. And Jill, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. Thanks for having me, Richard. You know, uh, we have done this now <clears throat> twice in uh, in the history of this program in terms of uh, the uh, book compilation, if you will, story compilation that Sacred Stories Publishing has put out. And sacredstoriespublishing.com is the website where folks can go to get a copy of the book as well as I'm sure your website. And you contributed a story about finding the words to change my life or your life in this case. And... The, the first thing I want to touch on here, if I may, has to do with the phrase that uh, the, the, the I guess you might say it's a point or a phrase or what have you, that words have power. Talk to us about that in light of how you found the words to change your life. Well, my story started out with me being bullied as a young person in the fifth grade and how that carried on to where I made a vow with myself that I would never speak up. I'd never call any attention to myself. And I had pretty much kept that vow through all through school and even to my adult life. I never spoke up, never told anybody my opinion because I didn't want any eyes on me. And I just wanted to fade in the background because of my experiences. My experiences also included, besides the bullying, um, one time that same year, I got up to speak in front of the class and my skirt fell to the floor and my heart just sunk and I felt like I can't do this. And it was in my mind that I really can't speak. So because I couldn't speak, I just developed a knack um, for writing. It was my communication. So I wrote down my thoughts. I wrote letters to people. I also wrote in journals. And before long, I realized that I was actually becoming a writer. I was making up stories for my grandchildren, poems for my children. And all through my adult life, I was writing things before I realized I was actually a writer. Wow. I can relate to um, the, at least the embarrassment, if you will, of, of uh, what you experienced in high school because uh, I was uh, a member of a singing group, uh, the Madrigals. It was a, a, a acapella singing group. And we had just gone to lunch. We went to McDonald's and we had, uh, I had a strawberry shake and a burger and fries. And we went to our next concert after that, 
And um, needless to say, keeping it as nice as I can, I did not keep lunch down. And I was in the front row. So uh, it was, to say the least, very embarrassing initially. Um, and uh, the, the, the one sound you heard following that was, was just, ooh, in the auditorium. Yeah. But um, we all have those experiences, and everybody seems to, um, they seem to face them a little differently. Do you feel that you probably wouldn't have become a writer in the way that you have had it not been for some of these experiences? I'm not really sure because nobody encouraged me to be a writer growing up, except that I was getting better grades in my English classes than I was in math and other things. And whenever I had to write a report for high school for history or something, I always got a better grade for that than I did for anything else. Mm. So maybe I was becoming a writer, didn't know it. But when I once I became a writer and started entering my writing into contests for the League of Utah Writers, I would sit in the audience and I would say over and over to myself, please don't win, please don't win, because I knew if I won, I'd have to get up in front of the whole group and read what I had written. So I knew I couldn't do that. So I didn't want to win, but the funny thing happened, I started winning. And I started having to get up. And one time, I guess I got a lot of nerve up. And I, after my first book was published, it was just a children's book. Uh, it's a fantasy and it's called Through the Rug. And once that book was published, I volunteered to teach a workshop at the League of Utah Writers. There's around 300 members. And I decided, I, I think I can do this. But then I realized, how am I going to do this? I can't even talk in front of people. So what I did was I went to Toastmasters. And I started learning to speak. And I had to do really short talks. So they were three minutes. But I got a little bit better and a little bit better, and I never had any trouble writing my talks. So when the time came to teach that workshop, I was in the uh, lunchtime part, and I was talking to other presenters, and I, they told me, we only had two people in our class. So I thought, well, I'm going to be just fine. I'll have my sister-in-law and my friend, and I'll do great. And then when I got into that classroom, the room started filling up. And it didn't just fill up in the middle. It filled up all along the sides. And people were even sitting or standing where there wasn't a chair. And I went, oh, no, here I go. But <laughs> what I did was I just kept going. And I kept going. And I did this for a whole hour. And things happened to me, like I had taken an allergy pill so that I wouldn't be drought, um, wouldn't have that fog in my throat. And it made my mouth so dry that my teeth were sticking to my lip. And I was trying to talk. And then my notes all fell to the floor. And I tried to gather them up, but they were all out of order. Oh. 
it just seemed like everything went wrong. But after I was finished, I was so happy because I did it. I didn't run out of the room. I didn't give up. I just kept talking and kept going. And I felt like that was a turning point for me because I had actually accomplished something that would have been so hard for me the rest of my life. So writing really has changed me. Well, I know that writing uh, has that effect. Uh, I have journals going back to when I was 21, 40 years ago when I started journaling, maybe a little earlier than that. And I kind of go back every once in a while and I read that. I'm going, really? I, I really wrote that? Come on. Seriously? <laughs> but that's where I was at the time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I still do a little writing here and there, mostly drawings and things of this nature. But I know how important it is for us to do that, not only in terms of, if you want to call it journaling, but also in terms of our own imagination, right? I mean, we need to... We need to get that stuff out from our inner selves, but also in terms of our imagination as well. Would you tend to agree with that? Oh, yes. And I love being around kids and reading my books to them and being um, the, the author at the time. And um, the first time I, my book wasn't even published, it was my first book. And my granddaughter was in the fifth grade and she went to her teacher and told her I had written a book. And the teacher told me to come the next day. So I, um, I said, I don't even have a published book yet. She said, just print it off the computer and come and read it to our class. And I got to watch the kids as my words interacted with them and they responded to the characters and they were so excited and they would clap for me when I would come in the room and when I would finish and the last day of school, I went and my book was finally published. I had the copy of the book and I showed it to them. Besides that, I had put their comments in there that they had told me about what they thought of the book. And I read that to them. And then I felt a tap on my shoulder. I turned around and there was a girl there with a magic marker and wanted me to sign the back of her t-shirt. And before long, the whole class was lined up behind me and I was signing their T-shirts right off their backs. And that was my <laughs> very first time signing my autograph. So watching those kids' faces and knowing what they thought of my book just really changed me too. Hmm. Well, it's remarkable how <clears throat> we can have certain events in our lives happen that that uh, take us from the back of the classroom, as it were, uh, to the front, uh, where people are, they're recognizing us for not so much who we are, but what we've done. And, and then, of course, in turn, they learn who we are, and, and that makes it an, an, an even bigger impact. And I think that's fantastic. We are talking today with Jill Vanderwood. She has uh, contributed to 
the uh, series of stories that are contained in Mayhem to Miracles, published by Sacred Stories Publishing. SacredStoriesPublishing.com is the website where you can find out more about that specific book. You can also go to Jill's website where she's got a number of of books that that are available. JillVanderwood.com. We're going to be linked to your website as well, uh, Jill, uh, so that people can find out more about you and the work that you do. Uh, you also have a, uh, a free ebook that's available on your website, correct? Yes. And it I, is actually I, I, through the rug. Yeah, through the rug. Yeah. We're going to continue talking with Jill here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're talking with Jill Vanderwood, and we're discussing not only the story that she put had published in the book Mayhem to Miracles, published by Sacred Stories Publishing, available at sacredstoriespublishing.com, as well as, I'm sure, Amazon and all the other fine outlets, but also some of the other children's stories that you have written, Jill. Uh, you've got one, and I have to make sure that I don't hover over it so that it doesn't open up, which is kind of a neat feature on your website, by the way. Uh, you have um, one book. It's called On Target, The Path You Off Choose. Uh, I beg your pardon. Off Target. <laughs> yeah. Off Target, the, the Path You Choose. And, of course, you have a through, uh, through the Rug series, one, two, and three, as well as The Year Santa Lost His List. Now, that's not a good thing. Erase the problem of bullying. Boy, I wish that had been around when I was growing up, too. Santa's monstrous boot. And uh, let's see here. Shaking behind the microphone. Sounds a little bit like your story, doesn't it, uh, Jill? Yeah, it's my story. Yeah. And uh, then there's several several others here as well. Drugs make you unsmart. Uh, what's it like living green? Kids teaching kids by the way they live. And then, of course, uh, uh, she, th- these are the latest works. Anything new coming out uh, in the near future? Actually, I have a book coming out the 20th of October. And it's the second book in this, uh, the Path You Choose series. And it's called On the Rocks. And it's about underage drinking. Teaching um, kids what ha- could happen, and they make their own choices as they read. They get to choose which way they want to go. So they can choose: do they want to go to the party? Do they want to accept an alcoholic drink? And after they drink, have been drinking, do they want to go in a car with their older brother who's also drinking, or do they want to walk home? And different ideas that they can figure it out for themselves what could really happen to them and maybe feel the thing happening so that's coming out october 20th and i'm really excited about that well i think that's a good thing especially considering the uh a problem that we have in this country in particular with uh, not just underage drinking, but just drinking in general, alcoholism, uh, that, that, that is just, it's just gone nuts. And especially since the, uh, since the start of the pandemic, it has really, uh, you know, I, I've heard about the, uh, the volume of sales of uh, beer and wine and other spirits and so forth since the pandemic started. Uh, that just went through the roof and that kind of thing. And it's, 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 a, 
it's an issue that, I mean, I personally, yes, I, I drink occasionally, but I don't like to lose control. You know, I just don't. I, I, you know, I don't know about you, but but it's just not something that that's that's in me. Now, I was fortunate when I was growing up that I I had parents that they they had moderate drinking, little or no, actually. You know, maybe if there was a party, which they held occasionally with some of their friends that would come over and they would have dinner and play pinochle and that kind of stuff. But, they, you know, and my dad enjoyed his occasional beer, you know. He loved Coors, you know. That was his favorite. So uh, I have to say that I probably uh, was spared that particular trauma. Uh, what about you? Is this something that, that you are able to relate to uh, from personal experience? I can, but it wasn't my own experience. I, I married young. I married a guy who had a drinking problem, and I didn't even know what that meant before I married him. I Nobody had warned me, and it became a real problem, especially once we had children. So I one night I had to leave him in the middle of the night with the kids. So I am in contact with him now, but the thing that lingers is that I have three children who have also experienced drinking problems and fought that. So I can see, and I can even see it in some of my grandchildren, that it just is a family problem and it just keeps lingering. Even though I don't touch a bit of liquor, neither does my current husband, we have had to live through it. Yeah. Now, can you tell me your current husband, has he been through that kind of experience in his in his past? He was never a drinker, but his father was. Mm-hmm. And then his brother was killed in an accident riding with a drunk driver. So, mm-hmm. yes, he it's it it's, goes through most families in some way. Yeah. I think kids should learn their family tree because they may never be able to be a social drinker. Maybe it's already in their blood, you know, so yeah, it's something that can really change and ruin a life if they're not careful. Absolutely. No, you, you couldn't be more correct on that. We're talking with Jill Vanderwood, and uh, she's a contributor to the book um, Mayhem to Miracles. When they contacted you or you contacted them about contributing, uh, how did you decide upon the story that you were going to submit? It just seemed like the story that I wanted to tell because it's kind of what put me here as an author and a speaker and overcoming that, starting with the bullying. And several of the books that I've written have touched on these things, so they're kind of autobiography. And those books, can't even say that word. (laughs) And then, so I wrote about it in the bullying book it's an anthology mm-hmm. and it has my story and i also wrote about it in the book about shaking behind the microphone overcoming the fear of public speaking and the response on the part of sacred stories obviously was such that oh we we want this in our book we want this in this particular uh uh, edition, if you will, because this is actually the third in a series that uh, Sacred uh, Stories Publishing has put out. The first was Chaos to Clarity, then uh, Crappy to Happy, and of course now it's uh, Mayhem to Miracles. Yes. And you're familiar um, with all three of, of with the other two? Uh, I've only read 
um, crappy to happy, I think it was. Mm. And I know it was chaos to clarity. And when I was reading that book, I, I was talking to Ariel and telling her I was reading her book. And she said, oh, we would really like to have you in our book, in our next book. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also signed up to be in one about angels that's coming out in March. Oh, wonderful. Well, we'll, we'll see same. about See about having you back to talk about uh, talk about that book uh, and talk about angels, guys. You know, I know that's a big issue for a lot of people, a big uh, a big part of their lives as well, especially for some of us. Uh, for example, myself, I was born and raised Catholic, so you know, angels were a big part. Angels and the saints and so forth were a big part of of uh, my growing up. So we'll uh, look forward to that. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're talking with Jill Vanderwood here on the program that brings you new paradigms for a new world. You know, we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices as well uh, to help make your dreams come true. We're looking for those new ways of living. Obviously, the old ways aren't working. Just look around you and we will come up with those new ways. And Jill is going to help us, I think, through the work that she's doing, especially the children's stories. Um, do, you, do you think that some of the subject matter that you are uh, writing about, and for example, this the new book that you have coming out in October, um, how early should we be talking to our kids about some of these serious subjects? Well, I am aiming the book for fifth grade on, on up. Mm -hmm. And it seems like it's a little bit young, but it really isn't. Because when I we wrote the book, um, Drugs Make You Unsmarter, mm -hmm. I interviewed kids from different schools. And I asked them if they've ever come in contact with drugs or alcohol. And almost every one of them said that their brother or their cousins had offered it to them. And they were fifth graders. Mm. So some of them have been offered even younger than that. So I thought we better start with that age. And in this book, there's a boy. It's a fiction book. But there's a boy who started drinking when he was nine years old in the story because I've read that that's happened. And he started out by sneaking drinks from his parents. Um, people were leaving after a party the adults would leave a little bit in their glass and he would drink it and different things like that. So the parents didn't really realize that he was drinking. He says that they, oh yeah, they don't care, but they really did. But they, he was the one that was sneaking it. Mm. You know, it's interesting. I would have to say that my first experience, I think I was 15, and I was with what I consider to be a good friend of mine. I still do. I haven't heard from him in decades, but nonetheless, I was a paper boy in Phoenix. Uh, we were driving around because um, we kind of hung out um, uh, on occasion. And he handed me a, a bottle of beer, you know, and I tried it. It was OK, but, you know, I wasn't real impressed, you know, at that time. Um, I think that was the first time, maybe at 15 or 16, uh, but it didn't uh, it didn't mean a whole lot to me. And I, it wasn't something that I continued any more than uh, anything else. And I've stayed away, for example, I've stayed away from a lot of the, the you know, drug usage 
because not because it was bad or evil or it would do terrible things to me. It just didn't interest me. I just I had no interest in it, you know. And I suppose I'm, I'm one of the few that, that it saved your life. Probably, probably <laughs> did. It probably did. Uh, there are a lot of things uh, in our lives that that kind of go that way. Is just I just I have no interest, you know, in doing this, that, or the other thing. But um, uh, there are a lot of people who do, and and you're right. It it will, it can very well change your life and the life of others around you mm-hmm. in an instant. And I think that that's one of the things. I don't know about you, uh, Jill. I think that's one of the things that. If anything scares me, it's that, that it, that you're not in your right mind. It's, it's kind of like that phrase regarding gambling and you see the commercials about the casinos and everything. And at the end they say gamble responsibly. Since when is gambling a responsible activity? Well, in a manner of speaking, drinking is kind of the same thing, especially when you do it beyond the, the boundaries, as my father would say, are beyond the boundaries of moderation. Um, you know, There's I, usually drinking involved with gambling, too. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know what my limits are. And you know what? I don't want to know. Don't I don't need to go there. I can sit and I can enjoy a, a, a glass of beer or wine or one of my favorite cocktails without going bonkers, you know? Like I said, uh, I don't like losing control. I just, I, I, and and maybe that's, I don't know, maybe, (laughs) maybe I'm OCD or something like that. And I I have to maintain control or something or, or uh, what have you. Uh, But that's fine with me, you know. Um, That's not an option for some people. They can't just enjoy one cocktail. Yeah. yeah. Once they start, they just can't stop. Yeah. And many people. So let's talk about one of your other books uh, dealing with, um, I believe one of them has to do with gun safety. Am I correct? Yes. Talk to That's us about, and first of all, target. which one is off target? Which one of those, how, what age group is that starting at? Is that it's fifth grade? I'm starting at the same thing, fifth same thing. grade. Okay. And by the time a person is in high school, you know, they're not going to want that message. I mean, they've heard it. Before right. They, but... It deals with, it's still a, a fiction book, but I go through the headlines and I find stories that like Law and Order would do. And I find stories where kids are involved with guns. And then I write about those similar scenarios. And in the, in the book, um, there's a new kid in town and he, it, it can be a girl or a boy because there's boys and girls in the story. So you are, the reader is the main character. Mm-hmm. So interesting. he goes home with a group of kids up to the first day of school. And he's seen that one of the guys has been bullied. So while he's at the house, the kid that owns the house brings out a gun. And it's loaded. It's in his mom's nightstand. And they, um, he has a choice. Does he want his turn to, does he want to come back tomorrow and shoot the gun at a target? Does he want to go home and tell his parents? Or will he sneak the gun out and take it home so that nobody gets hurt? 
And so those stories go off from there and branch out. So there's a story about target practice. There's one where they're playing hide and seek and they're shooting the gun saying when they find one of the kids, but shooting it in the air. And it actually, um, people start getting hurt or dogs or different things get hurt because I want them to feel the realness of that, what can really happen, that it's not a fake, it's not playing. And these things have really happened in the headlines where um, they're celebrating a win from the uh, sports team and they're shooting a gun and that gun, the bullet shoots somebody, even though they shot up in the air. So these things can really happen. But in that book, I didn't have anybody die, but there are people that ended up in the hospital because I wanted them to feel like, oh, if I only I hadn't done that. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting, too, uh, when I think about the pros and cons regarding uh, uh, firearms. Um, I, I produced a program, uh, a little a series of vignettes, and we... Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the of the vignette, but we always tagged it out. The host of the vignette always tagged it out with, and always remember the first rule of gun safety. Always treat a gun as if it is loaded. Always. And uh, then, of course, everything else follows behind that. And um, uh, then there's the, there's, the, there's the mix where you have the problem with guns, firearms, and alcohol. And that's when things really can just go off the rails and down the hill fast. Oh, yes. Yeah. And they do all the time. Yeah. We don't always hear about them, though. Uh, that's that's one of the other things as well. We're talking with Jill Vanderwood, and she is the author of quite a number of children's books. We have, hope that you will uh, pick up a copy of some of these, as well as the a copy of the Mayhem to Miracles, a book that is available for you through Sacred Stories Publishing, sacredstoriespublishing.com. Jill's books are available through her website, Jill vanderwood.com will be linked to your website uh, jill so that people can uh, find out more about the work that you are doing as we continue here on tell me your story new paradigms for a new world you know we are here folks on uh, sundays at 7 a.m and 7 p.m monday mornings at 1 a.m we stream live at those times at richarddugan.com we also have a wednesday special edition at 9 a.m hope that you will uh, catch that one as well we are podcasting all of the interviews on soundcloud itunes TuneIn radio spotify stitcher player fm blueberry and iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. We are also on YouTube, where you can watch these interviews. We hope that you will do just that. And uh, we encourage you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s, where we encourage you to go within, spending time in that inner place, listening to that still, small voice, and, and just being in a calm and peaceful and quiet state. Even for a minute, one of our guests made the comment uh, some weeks ago, even if you just do it for 60 seconds, 
It's a starting place. And 60 seconds isn't that long. It might seem like it at first, but it really isn't that long. Um, set an alarm if you need to, what have you, but just spend some time doing that. And if these programs resonate with you, you like what we're bringing you, please support us financially. We have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. And uh, you can go to PayPal and send us a contribution. Just put my email address in there, Richard at richarddugan.com. We would greatly appreciate that. Jill Vanderwood is my guest here on the program, and we're talking about not only the works that she has uh, compiled, that she has put out, we're going to continue talking about those, but also the story that she has in the uh, series or collection of stories in the book Mayhem to Miracles, published by Sacred Stories Publishing, sacredstoriespublishing.com, and also uh, jillvanderwood.com. We will be linked to your website as well. Jill, let's talk a little bit. We've had a guest on this program a number of times talking about the issue of bullying. In your book, Erase the Problem of Bullying, I remember that um, <laughs> I remember that when I got out of high school, and I got into college, uh, junior college, and then I started working in the early 80s. I started hearing stories about bullying, and I thought, wait a minute. I thought we were through with that. And well, I was through with it as far as school was concerned, but apparently the problem was a little bit more entrenched than I realized. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this, especially in the context. I'm reading here where it says that federal prison... Uh, uh, Cedric, federal prisoner Cedric Dean learns at a young age to bully others to get what he wants. And the comment has been made many times, Jill, uh, especially when it comes to bullies, and this doesn't make it any easier, mind you, hurt people hurt people. Yeah. Talk to us about this story and your, your perspective and observations and so forth on bullying. Okay, I um, that this is an anthology, and I interviewed over forty people for this book. Um, kids that are being bullied, celebrities that were bullied and still made it out of that kind of life, and people who were being still being bullied, and advice from each person on what they should do if they're being bullied. And I also have one about James Donaldson, and he is an NBA all-star basketball player. And he was bullied in high school because he was awkward and tall. Even in junior high, he was about seven feet tall. And he would try to hide walking down the hall, but it's impossible when you're that tall. And they decided to put him on the basketball team and he didn't know how to play basketball. So they would blacken the windows of the gyms and let him practice in there. And so the other boys wouldn't watch him until he got good at it. And then they tried to put him on the team. And there were boys who were really thinking they were good at basketball and they were gonna get scholarships and they didn't want him on the team because he was a threat. So the bullying started in the locker room where they would hit him with wet towels and leave marks on him, pinch him, um, hide his clothes, whatever they could think of to do to make him not want to be there. And so he was he would start missing practices 
and he would um, try to get away from that because he just didn't want to do it. And the, his coach um, helped him through this and told him, you know, that he couldn't be something. And he got a scholarship to, I think it was Washington State University. And he got to be on their team. And they also gave him the key to the gym and let him practice. And he played for the Utah Jazz and a lot of other teams. And he became an NBA All-Star. But if he had let the bullying get to him, he would have stopped right in high school. So, hmm. Well, I know that one of the lessons I learned uh, being bullied myself in school was that uh, I had to stop getting angry because that was giving them part of what they wanted. They wanted a reaction and especially upset mm -hmm. to upset me. So when I stopped doing that, it kind of tapered off, uh, especially in high school. Uh, although um, I did get the nickname in Spanish class of El Toro. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, that's the bull. Oh, the that bull. is the bull. Uh, and you know how bulls are when they see red. Uh, they charge. And uh, at least that's the uh, that's the uh, story anyway. But I I uh, I finally got to a point in my life where I've actually had a certain experiences as an adult where I was being bullied by other adults, you know, in the workplace. And I finally got to a point where I was actually able, there was one experience where I was actually able to sit while uh, a, a general manager kind of read me the riot act. I had to do everything in my power to keep from laughing. Because first of all, he was going off on something that I didn't do. You know, I was only doing my job, but he apparently thought I overstepped my bounds. Uh, and I knew that, I, I, you know, hey, let him rant, let him rave, let him do his thing. Don't take it personally. And that's one of the other aspects of this, too, uh, that I want to talk to you a little bit about in terms of bullying. Now, it's kind of hard not to take it personally when they physically, you know, and or verbally attack you. But I know that that is a big issue as well in terms of getting the upper hand, so to speak, um, and uh, um, uh, realizing, for example, when I first started driving here in Santa Barbara back in 2006, 7, 8, 9, 10, so forth, I used to get, and this is probably, probably where my high blood pressure comes in, mm -hmm. upset with people and the way they drove, and I would just, and I'd honk my horn, and you stupid so-and-so, and da-da-da. Finally, somebody said to me, they said, Richard, you need to understand something. They did not wake up this morning saying, let's get Richard. It's not personal. And that actually did help quite a bit. Uh, adding to that, that most of these people, especially in the morning, especially in the morning, they're half awake. They just got up themselves. They're trying to get from point A to point B, they're not 100% aware of everything that they're doing. So that behooves me to be a little bit more vigilant, give them the, the right of way, so to speak, so that they can get on their way. Now they're not in my way anymore and I can just merrily roll along and so forth. So that's, that's helped me a great deal not to take it personally. But kids in school, not so easy to do. No, it's not. My, some of my grandchildren were being bullied in school. So 
one of my granddaughters is the one that asked me to write that book because she was having so much trouble. Mm. And she didn't want her name in there or anything because she thought they could come back at her. Yeah. Well, odds are they probably wouldn't read the book anyway, but uh, still, no, I certainly can not. I certainly can understand your, your granddaughter's uh, concerns and, and fears. I now look back, I mean, 61 years old right now, and, you know, uh, all I can say is, okay, gang, look at me now. Look at what I'm doing, and I don't really care anymore about what happened back then. That's in the past. I have moved through it. I'm moving on. Got, I got better fish to fry, especially here in this little fishing village we call Santa Barbara. <laughs> little. <laughs> you know, uh, and talking about the things, the ways in which we can overcome bullying. And I'm curious as to uh, some of the suggestions that you might have in uh, this, uh, this particular book called Erase the Problem of Bullying. What, what kind of suggestions or advice do you offer in this story? Um. One of the actresses that's in the book said that he, you need to show people that you're something. And so did the basketball player. He said, just be the best you can at something. Mm. And they won't have anything to tease you about. And um, one of the girls that was a bully that I interviewed, she said there was a young girl that was she was trying to bully. She was bullying people because her dad had divorced and he had remarried and the mom, the new mom didn't want to um, dress her right. She, she wanted to dress her in clothes that weren't fashionable. And in order to keep the emphasis off of her, she put it on other people. So one of the little girls that she tried to bully started laughing. And every time she'd say something, she'd just laugh and laugh. And she said it wasn't any fun to bully her. She just left her alone. <laughs> you know, there's the best advice of all. Uh, make it so miserable for the bully that they are not, there's no, it's not fun for them. Yeah. You know? Uh, yeah, that's that's good advice. Jill Vanderwood is my guest. This is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I hope that you will stay with us as we continue going down this road of uh, new paradigms for a new world. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And we're here uh, four times a week, Sundays twice at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. for those uh, late or early risers, depending upon your perspective, and Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m. for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. Podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, let's see, Amazon Music, and a bunch of other places. We're on YouTube where you can watch these interviews at the channel. Tell me your story and Richard Dugan. Just look for the guy with the hat. And we uh, also hope that you'll participate in 2020, the decade of perfect vision, uh, spending time going within and uh, just spending some time quietly meditating pondering some of the things maybe that that Jill has offered in her works. And also go to our guest website, jillvanderwood.com, where we are linked to her website as well 
as well. Pardon me, and uh, we hope that you will uh, uh, take a visit there. Also, go to sacredstoriespublishing.com and get a copy of Mayhem to Miracles. I think these stories, uh, they will they will touch your heart, so I hope that you will do that. We're talking with Jill, uh, and we're talking about uh, a lot of different things. I'm curious about, uh, again, we already know, and you've already shared with us, uh, obviously, that you were bullied in school and so forth, but... What about your upbringing? What were you, uh, from a, a philosophical or a religious perspective, how were you raised? I was raised in a um, religious family, but I was also number three out of 11 children. Wow. We, we sacrificed a lot. <laughs> we didn't dress the way everybody else did all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, as we grew up, we learned to sew for ourselves. Um, so we made a lot of our own clothes and one time, well, most of the clothes that we got besides that came on our front porch from people that we didn't know anonymously. Mm-hmm. So we had a lot of, um, different ways of getting clothes besides going to the store and even shoes sometimes. One time I had a pair of shoes that fit me and they were in style and they were really cute. And I was wearing them um, walking to school. And then I wore them walking to my Girl Scout troop, which was in a Catholic church. And there was a lump in that shoe and it kept bugging me. I kept taking the shoe off, dumping it out. And I couldn't. So when I got to the Catholic church in the um I don't know what the room was called, but it had a couch. I took the shoe off, took it apart, and there was a cigarette in there. Oh, jeez. Smashed. And I didn't know what to do with it, so I stuck it under the cushion of the couch. (laughs) And when I was ready to leave, I kept thinking, I can't leave a cigarette in a church. Mm. So I put it back in the shoe, and as soon as I got outside, I dumped it out. (laughs) (laughs) My goodness. Well, it, you know, um, it's it's interesting how as we grow up, I I I know that I grew up. Um, obviously, I was born and raised Catholic, and and uh, grew up in what would be considered a middle class uh, home. Uh, you know, we um, we didn't want for a lot. My parents, uh, you know, they worked very hard to provide for us, and did a great job at it. I have to say. Uh, but there were times when I thought, you know, I, 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 I think the people down the street are doing better than us, you know, and that kind of thing. Uh, but as I look back on it, it's like I bet you a lot of these families up and down the street thought th- that we were doing better than them. You yeah. know, and we were a family of six, uh, six kids, uh, uh, four girls and two boys living in a house that was probably not more than I'm just guessing here, 2000 square feet. Three bedrooms, one bathroom, and eight people. Now, nobody died, so we made it through. <laughs> and you can imagine, with five females in the house, you know, uh, you know what that uh, what that kind of a situation could uh, could develop into. But we didn't kill each other, you know. We did just fine. We made it through, and and here we are today. Uh, Jill, let me ask you. In regards to some of the other works that you have now, you have uh, through the rug, uh, which is an, and actually that is also a, a a collection of stories as well. I mean, our, our books—it's three at the present time. Yeah. Um, 
And um, talk to us a little bit more. Well, actually, you know what? We've talked about that. Let's talk a little bit about these these uh, Christmas-oriented ones. Uh, there's one here called, called Santa's Mysterious, not Monstrous, Mysterious Boots. Um, and uh, share with us, uh, especially in light of what you've already shared with us, in terms of... Um, Christmas and what it means to you and your family. I mean, you grew up in a family of 11. I can't even imagine uh, mm-hmm. what that was like in terms of buying gifts for everybody. <laughs> well, it always looked like there was a lot under the Christmas tree. But when you got your share, it wasn't very big because so many. But my husband is a professional Santa Claus. And so I dress up with him and I'm Mrs. Claus. So these, that is what inspired the books, the Christmas books. And I started thinking about uh, a boot that could propel Santa up this chimney and it could play Christmas music and different um, gadgets. So Santa has a new boot with gadgets and he doesn't know how to work them right. He ends up with uh, making snow in the middle of the living room. And some boys were trying to catch him and he wakes them up with music, but actually he's just trying to get up the chimney. So when he finally gets up the chimney, the boot falls down and he had to leave without it. And so these two boys have captured his boot and They've tried everything, but the boot doesn't fit on them because it's not their boot. So they put it on and it propels across the room and they make snow in their living room. And and so they make an ad in the newspaper so that they can find the real Santa. So it's kind of like a Cinderella. Uh-huh. I like and that. Santa starts sending them notes saying, if you want to get the real Christmas spirit, meet me in the middle of the Valley Fair Mall at a certain time and um, ho, 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 this is Santa Claus. So he gets all these Santas there and they're all funny with pillows under their bellies and fake beards and they're all lined up. And after that, they find that they couldn't really get Santa Claus. So then they... um, He sends them another note and tells them to go to the homeless shelter. And they set the boot out and the boot plays music and people start putting coins in there. And so they take the boot in and they make a donation. And everywhere they go, they make a difference somehow with Mm. his boot. And at the end, they feel so good about making these donations that they don't really want to catch Santa anymore. So Mm. they leave the boot by the tree, and the next year he comes and gets it. And and they said he thanks them for helping to um, spread the Christmas spirit. Oh, that's very cool. You have another story, too, about how where Santa Claus loses his list. And that's not a good thing because uh, apparently the uh, prop, the necessary information to deliver the right presents to the right kids is on that list. Uh, so, uh, and I guess a, a gust of wind carries it off while he's 
on the sleigh heading out after delivering a few uh, 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 houses and what have you. Uh, what's uh, what's the 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 theme, if you will, or message in that particular story? It's mainly that the kid that wanted one gift got another gift, and they ended up learning a new skill or learning that they really like. Maybe one that wanted to be a nurse turned out to get artistic um, art supplies and one that wanted a um, guitar got a, um, I can't remember exactly who got what, but Mm. neither could Santa. And so they get things that really make their um, lives change. One girl becomes an astronaut. One goes to Paris to paint pictures. One becomes a surgeon because he got a, and anatomy doll and all those things for doctors. And so they end up finding, even though that was, could have been a disaster, Santa actually changed people's lives by giving them the different gifts that Mm. they asked for. That's very cool. Well, I'll tell you, we we could use more of those stories, um, you know, uplifting stories uh, in these, in these very, challenging times as they say in which we live and at the same time you know it's 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 like uh one of the biggest i think one of the biggest concerns for a lot of folks is uh finding kindness out there and that that seems to really be a big challenge do you have anything along those lines in terms of being kind to one another no matter what's going on no matter how you're feeling well, I didn't write a book specifically for that, but um, that is kind of what it, it mounts to, especially with the Santa's Mysterious Boot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that book won an award, a Gold Will Award from the League of Utah Writers. By the way, I'm curious. You mentioned that um, you didn't really want to submit your writings in the beginning because you know, you know, I don't want to win. I don't, uh, don't let me win. Don't let me win. And then all of a sudden you're winning. How have you been doing in that regard? Have you been uh, winning a number of, uh, of awards for the work for the children's books that you've been doing, but did you been writing? Actually? Yeah. Yes. Especially the book called, um, what's it like living green. I won an Indie excellence award, a team, um, I can't remember what it was, a teen award, and I won a um, quill, silver quill from the League of Utah Writers and the USA Best Books Award, and I don't know if they have that contest anymore. And then I've altogether, I've won three gold quills from the League of Utah Writers, and I won the um, Writer of the Year Award. And then my last book, a couple of my books have won Mom's Choice Awards. So the book called um, Off Off Target won a Mom's Choice Award Mm. just about a year ago. And um, that's kind of a prestigious award that they give to for moms to approve of the book and school educators and people like that. Well, congratulations on all of those awards. I think that it's marvelous that uh, uh, you are 
making such a difference in the world these days, especially when it comes to uh, when it comes to all of the 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 books that you are writing and the ideas that you are putting forth uh, in in terms of uh, um, making this a better place, which is what this is all about, which is what we're all about here on Tell Me Your Story. We're we're wanting to make this a better place for everybody, and and you're you're covering a lot of ground. <laughs> Maybe too much. <laughs> well, yet at the same time, the the big plus for you is that you have the experience, if you will. Uh, you have the uh, I should say you have yeah you do you have the experience when it comes to this whole issue of of uh, uh, bullying uh, to. Um, to deal with it in terms of gun safety and drugs and, and of course, uh, you know, the environment and trying to, you know, live a, a more sustainable life without making things worse. I mean, I've often said when it comes to our environment, you know, I don't care about, we don't have to talk about the science of climate change or any of that stuff. I just say, shouldn't we just clean up our home? I mean, come on. I mean, let's just clean it up. What's what's the problem? <laughs> you know, it's not that not that hard to do. Jill Vanderwood is my guest here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, we are talking about the work that she has done on her website, JillVanderwood.com, which we will be linked to, as well as the story she has submitted and has been published in the book Mayhem to Miracles, published by the Sacred Stories Publishing Company. SacredStoriesPublishing.com is the website. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story. And uh, Jill, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. It's been a real pleasure to get to know you and the work that you're doing and how you're you're trying to help uh, from an early age um, people, because kids are people too, uh, to uh, hopefully be a little bit more aware to where maybe they can be kids just a little bit longer, you know, and enjoy that childhood. I mean, I think back even in my 60s now. I think back on what it was like to grow up in my neighborhood and how great it was, how much fun we had, you know, and, and there are so many kids that they're not going to have that. They're just not. And it's like, come on, let's, let's give that to them. Let's let them be kids as long as, as long as it is possible. And I think you're doing that through the work that you're doing. Well, thank you. And I thank you for joining us. talking to you. I do have three final questions that I do like to ask my guests. And um, before we let you go, I'm going to ask you those questions. But first, I want to uh, say to you, the listener and the viewer, thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We're here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesdays at 9 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com with podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Blueberry iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. We also encourage you to participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, where we encourage you to go within, spend some quiet time listening to that still small voice. We also ask you to go to YouTube and watch our videos. Uh, YouTube, tell me your story, Richard Dugan, the channel, and uh, watch these interviews. And I would hope that you would subscribe to either the podcast and or the videocasts. 
And if what we're doing is resonating with you, you like what we're doing and you'd like to be a part of it and you'd like to support us financially, we would greatly appreciate that. We have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. When you go to send, it's going to ask you for an email to send to. Richard at RichardDugan.com is the email you want to use. So whatever amount you can send us, we'd be so gratefully appreciative. And uh, those who have helped and those who will help, thank you, thank you, thank you. For my final three questions to you, my guest, what, who is, number one, who is Jill Vanderwood? Um, I'm a Christian woman. I'm a mother, a grandmother. I'm Mrs. Santa Claus. <laughs> I'm an author and a speaker, and I like to speak to children's groups and schools. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? My goal is to make a difference for the next generation. I hope that some of the words that I write and speak will touch somebody and change their life. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life purpose is to make a difference and to influence people for good and let them know that they're not stuck where they are. They can come out of that situation and make a better life for themselves. Well, Jill, again, I thank you so much, Jill Vanderwood, for joining us here on the program. It's been a great pleasure, and thank you for contributing to Mayhem to Miracles uh, from uh, Sacred Stories Publishing. Thank you, Richard. And thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to love.